Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. It's Friday. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this Friday, we won't call it a great Friday, uh, Friday morning, by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm okay, Dave. How are you? There was definitely a little bit of energy that was um, missing, absent from your voice yeah. in that introduction. I mean, yeah. So UCLA basketball, men's hoops, the premier program in the uh, UCLA pantheon, the standard bearer uh, for the uh, for the athletic department. Um, Cratered, uh, had a cratering event uh, last night against Utah on the road in Salt Lake City. They lost 90 to 44. Um, uh, You know what's so funny is I wrote a whole thing about this, but I am somehow still without words to describe this because it's uh, something that I truly didn't think was going to happen again during Mick Cronin's tenure. Like, I didn't think they were going to have to experience a game like this, at least for the length of his tenure. And to then see it and have it be so much worse than so many of these in the past, like the Kentucky and Utah games from Steve Alford's second year, uh, those were bad. And for it to happen so fast. Yes, for the bottom to just completely fall out of the the team and the program in uh the space of how many games are we into this stupid season 16 games halfway mm-hmm. through the year and it is in full deep uh you know uh planet killing crater time crazy it is um i think we're all just a little stunned i know i'm stunned i'm stunned i hear stun in your voice uh and I know all the fans on the forum are stunned as well. Um, <laughs> as you said, loss for words. First off, I'd like to say um, Dave wrote a great story um, after that game, the review of that game, because we're stunned and lost for words now. I don't know where you came up with all of those words, but the words actually had some uh, some meaning too. And, and I want to say this, I, I understand that a lot of the bros are coming to the forum to complain about the team, complain about McCronin and complain about Dave and me because we didn't, uh, we didn't actually see this happening. And uh, yes, admittedly, did we think it would be better than this? We absolutely did. But before you do that and you just rush to the board to complain and, and, and then throw the blame on us too, if you could read Dave's story, because people are, are, are saying that we are, we are not critical of McCronin or the program, I, I, that, that story borders on one of the most critical stories we've ever written, uh, a, a, a game story, I'd say, uh, a cratering event. Uh, I don't think we you've ever written that for a football story. So please, before you come and start um, coming at us, read that story. Uh, it, you can come at us for various reasons, but don't come at us and say we're not 
we're not critical of McCronin in the program and well, that we have favoritism and all of that because that's just it's just so off-putting to us because in our mind it's so untrue. Uh, it has nothing to do with the coaches we're following, uh, our personal relationships with them. Um, it has to do with our analysis of the team, the program, the coach. Uh, that's what we are doing. We, I'm going to go on a little soliloquy here for a second, Dave. Um, let's just compare like with Chip Kelly. If you all might remember when he was hired – and he was just instituting his recruiting approach. We were pro that recruiting approach because there's two two reasons why we're pro a coach. He's earned, he's earned it. There is a precedent, um, and he's new. And you're hoping. I mean, that's kind of the things, right? We were we were positive about Chip even after that first year when they went three and nine with that win over USC. We were still saying, "Hey, there's some positives here." Mm -hmm. um, so it's not like it has anything to do with our opinion personally of the coach. Uh, if you remember, uh, we'll just say it: we had good relationships, personal relationships with Ben Halland and with Jim Mora. We were some of the first who who started to write critically about both. Um, if you remember, I think I was the first one, and I, I think the the basketball forum went nuts on me when I said, I think Ben Hallen's basketball program has is probably more likely to crash than Rick Neuheisel's football program. So I, we are telling it like it is, um, and it has nothing to do – we do it despite any kind of personal relationship, and that's gotten us <laughs> – that's gotten us in hot water before. I mean, I've had Jim Mora calling me up with and not being too pleasant with me at times. Um, and you, Dave, we were talking off mic, and you were saying that you think that story that you wrote, I mean, we might get some feedback for that, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, wrote, I've written two things this week that, like, I don't think it required – I think the first thing this week, I, I – a couple of people um, came away with a very odd impression of what I was writing, but let me just underscore it. When I say the talent, I think the talent can be developed, who then am I pointing the finger at for why this season is going poorly? Like, people read that story I wrote earlier in the week, a few people, I think most people got, the, got what I was saying, but a few people read it as somehow defending Mick Cronin and the program. Um, no, no, no. What I was saying was he needs to commit to this team because that's the only way forward for him. That got underscored last night. And so, yes, um, here's, uh, I, I just want to, I want to touch on what you were saying first, because I think this needs to be hammered. Giving Mick Cronin the benefit of the doubt coming into this season given that he had won 72% of his games in at UCLA, was the only rational position. Yeah, you can quibble. You know, we talked a lot in the offseason about can the two-post thing work, and we debated it, and we talked it back and forth. We were both kind of like, maybe, we'll see, you know, and it didn't. Um, but we talked a lot about this stuff, whether these guys are going to come in ready to play, all that kind of stuff. But you give the benefit of the doubt because he's run a winning program. Now it has 
we've we're halfway through this season and it's not getting any better. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And I would say the last two games, what stood out mainly is that the team has quit. Um, and that was what stood out against Cal. I mean, Mick Cronin called it out. He said the effort wasn't there and it was worse last night against Utah. Um, there's no lipstick to put on that pig and nor are we inclined to do so. There's no benefit of the doubt to give when it's staring you in the face. It's one thing to say, oh, it, it is, you know, up until basically a week ago, it was very similar in terms of, um, results on the court to what happened in 2019, 2020. So benefit of the doubt. Okay. Maybe this can turn around. Maybe this will look like 2019, 2020. We're now beyond that point. We're now at the point where they're suffering losses, uh, the likes of which UCLA hasn't suffered in 25 years. They're, you know, on pace for a season, uh, the likes of which UCLA hasn't had in 20 years, if not worse. Um, and the 20 years is if they really rally and win four or five games down the stretch. They they might not do that. If they finish like 9 and 23 or whatever it could be, uh, that'll be the worst season since I think pre-Wooden. Like, it's going to be historic. There's no there's no benefit of the doubt to give at that point. And this is where like I, I think people just want they, they want something to, you know, yell at that's more um accessible than the basketball program. So okay, we can be that for you to an extent. But it's um it's we're I mean, look, I, I don't claim I mean I, I don't like the word objectivity. I don't think it's correct. We all have our lenses. I'm telling you what my lens is. It has nothing to do with Mick Cronin being a good guy and liking to talk to him at you know press conference events or off the record or any of that stuff. It has to do with he won a lot of games. He built a good program. He was winning a lot of games. Now he's not. He went to a Final Four. He went to a Final Four. He had a truly elite season last year. I mean, I know a lot of people are results-oriented with the NCAA tournament, he had an elite team last and, and year. And just from this standpoint, if Chip Kelly had been to a college football playoff within three years and the year before had one of the top three or four teams in the country that didn't that ended up one of the top 16 teams in the country and then didn't win a national championship because of some critical injuries, we'd be very pro-Chip Kelly. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And so the thing is um, – when the facts change, when the, the situation on the ground changes, our opinion's going to change. And that's what's happened. Like, yes, were we giving the benefit of the doubt to Mick Cronin and his roster build and what he could do this season? Absolutely. He had earned that. Again, through results on the court. Um, and so, yeah, now it's it's obviously very bad. But I do want to say, like, my main thesis from what I wrote earlier this week and from what I wrote last night remains my firm, firmly held opinion. Whatever you think about this roster build, whatever you personally think about it, you think these guys can't play or whatever, that could all be true. Mick Cronin built this roster and his only way forward, his only path forward is to somehow get, I don't know, at least half of these guys playing some version of Mick Cronin basketball that he can adhere to and continue having them on the roster next year. He cannot bring in eight or nine new players next year and expect to have a reasonably successful season. It takes a long time to learn to play for Mick Cronin. It takes a long time to do the things that he wants done 
both offensively and defensively. He can't think that he's going to replace eight or nine guys and have it be gangbusters next year. You shouldn't think that either. His only way forward is to somehow take these guys who you may not think are very talented. I'm still saying, look, maybe all evaluations are wrong, but there's a lot of guys who evaluated these players and said they're pretty good. Uh, There's some talent there. It's his job to develop them, and it's essential absolutely essential for his long-term viability at UCLA. Wow, you covered a lot right there. Uh, um, probably a few things to go back on and, and actually unpack also. Um, we're, uh, when, it talks about, when you talked about evaluating this group of players, and there were a lot of people who evaluated these guys, just not Dave and myself, um, I, still, I still stand by my evaluation. I, I, of of these guys, um, I I had Daimara as an NBA player and a first round pick and a potential lottery pick, and I still think he is. Um, as I said, when you evaluate bigs, it's a completely different orientation on how you do it, uh, and don't even want to get in all the details of that. But um, did we think that the talent that Mick Cronin went out and got in the offseason would be better right now. We absolutely we we absolutely did. We did we did, you know, discount in that it would take a while for these guys to put it together, but by uh, we we thought it would start to be getting put together by now and we didn't think the putting together part would look would be this ugly. So, yeah, um we didn't foresee this cratering event. <laughs> um, the question really is not necessarily um, thinking about how we got here, but the question is really like the way forward, like what you said. How does Mick Cronin get this group of players to play Mick Cronin basketball on a fairly successful level for the rest of the season? And if he doesn't, where does that put this program? Um, that those are some questions we we, we got to get into. Uh, I, on the first part, can he can he get these guys to play his style? I think that's completely undetermined at this point. Uh, if you say you believe that he can, you would be basing that on. Uh, as of now, not much, I'd think, because we've established for a Mick Cronin team to be really to play well, they have to be indoctrinated into a Mick Cronin style of playing. Mm-hmm. And like we've said before, usually that's a blend of mostly veterans and then some freshmen that eventually the freshmen get it because they've been pulled along by the veterans and they all starts to coalesce um, and it starts to work. I don't, we don't see that. I'm, I'm saying we as in you and me um, f- from this personnel, just because of the personnel makeup that we got eight new players and the two veterans on the team. Even the three veterans are just sophomores and haven't been playing much, very long for Mick Cronin anyway. So I, from, from the personnel standpoint, it's hard to envision that he's able to do it. He's a good coach, but a lot of his success is getting players to play in his style and getting them bought in. I think you can start questioning that now because what we saw last night was the opposite of buy-in. 
Yeah, um, it was guys. I mean, like there, I, I wrote about it, but and I don't mean to like call guys out because I just thought it was accentuating. But Sebastian Mack down twenty five or thirty, going out there and not trying to run an offense at all, and like this is always true to an extent with him because he's just not an effective passer and you know struggles to make plays for everyone else. But just going out and getting his uh, or trying to get his, he still wasn't really getting them. Um, that shouldn't be happening. Like at the end of a blowout, the the only saving grace at the end of a blowout is okay. Now I'm just going to pull guys who do anything outside of a team concept. I'm going to put in our end of benchers. I'm going to, you know, really try to instill some like, look, this is how you play with some dignity and some pride. Uh, and there was none of that. And um, allowing that stuff to go on, allowing that to continue is. Um, I don't want to say the word cancerous. Because I don't know, um, but it's not it, it. It doesn't help build your program. It just doesn't. And I think there was uh, to to dovetail on a lot of that. I think Mick's approach to this season, and this is like kind of what I was getting at earlier this week. I think it was just inherently flawed, um, especially once he saw the team he had, once he practiced with them, seen all this stuff, and it's just. This was going to be a development year. It, the, the, it's not about how do I eke out a win in this game right here, right now? How do I how do I get this team to win this game right now? And I know this is antithetical to a lot of the way he thinks, but not always. And it, it wasn't even a couple years ago with Johnny Juzang. But he's decided, okay, the best way for us to get offense is for Sebastian Mack to go one on five and dribble into the chest of a defender. Does that do anything to build your team concept? Does that do anything to build your program? Does that do anything for the development of other players who then are just standing and watching on offense constantly? There's no off-ball movement. There's no guys moving to get open because they know the driver who has the ball is not going to pass to them. And it's just how there's... There's offensive, quote, scheme, and then there's just, oh, you got to pull that guy. You you can't continue to let the guy who's not going to pass to anyone else, no matter what, when he's dribbling into the teeth of the defense, you can't continue to play him. You've you got you to gotta sit him and then tell him, hey, if you do that again, you're going to sit again until he gets the message that, okay, when I drive, I'm going to look to pass if there's anybody in my way. And these things aren't happening. Um, and it's just... I think there was this idea that he wanted to come into this season and win a lot. And, okay, you have that idea for the first month, and then you see the team you have, and it's like, okay, no, this is a development year. I need to build these guys. I need to build them into a winning team for maybe the end of this year, for next year. And that was the thing I think we built into our calculations for why we were thinking, oh, this team could really improve, you know, mid-January, end of January. And that's not happening. And I think a lot of it, you know, I got into the psychoanalysis earlier this week, but I think it all just is underscored by all this, which is he's, I think getting so close was very, very hard. And I think now at the point he's at, it's impatience. It's, he's, he's, he doesn't, he's, he's not displaying the patience necessary for the team he has. And that's the critical thing that I think is preventing this team from developing in any real way. The Sebastian Mac, Sebastian Mack, like you said, we don't want to necessarily just focus on one player, but uh, uh, there have been questionable personnel usage uh, with all coaches, and we've brought it up over the uh, last few seasons with 
uh, about Mick Cronin too. Um, this is the biggest head scratching one to me. Uh, because the other ones, let's say Cody Riley, right? Uh, uh, over Miles Johnson, y you could check a box veteran guy who's been through the wars with him. He trusts him on the off season. Cody Riley's a gym rat who works his ass off, wants to reward him physically tough, plays hard, plays hard on defense up to his utmost ability generally made good decisions uh played within the team concept um none of that from sebastian mack uh not on both sides of the ball his defense might be some of the worst from a guard that we've seen under mick cronin which it's, would it's... absolutely get a guard pulled immediately. And it's, then worse, it's, it's worse than Bryce Alford. And then if you remember Jules Bernard would drive to nowhere, uh, turn the ball over and he'd get yanked. Yep. And that's not happening. So this is the most head scratching one to me. Uh, and, and it goes into it, that idea. Then this is something that Mick Cronin has always kind of weirdly prioritized. And it goes back to the Johnny Juzang stuff. Juzang's first year where we're watching these games and it's like, well, that guy's not playing any defense and he's shooting the ball 15 times a game. And it ended up working out, right? Because they then went to the final four and a large part of it was Juzang, you know, getting super hot. But it made the regular season at times a real chore. And it's because he was prioritizing a guy who can get, quote, buckets. And he talks about that, a guy who can go get you a bucket. Um when it was always the case that Jaime Hawkes could also get you a bucket and he would do it in a much more efficient manner where he's not also just like completely laser locked on the rim the entire time. But like all that notwithstanding, for, for whatever reason, a defensive head coach um, with certain guys, he's always prioritized their offense. Like, and I think if Adai Mara had shown more ability to score, he would live with him giving up layup after layup after layup. Because there's something about, and I don't know what it is, because basketball is a math game. Like, I, I think I think it's also because he feels the other four guys in the court are at least playing hard defense and well-versed in his style of coaching defense that they'll be okay. I need that one guy who can go get a bucket. Yeah, and I, I like this is the thing is I think um, – there's a you know there's part of being at Cincinnati that I think kind of gets to you after a while and um you know getting all these hard-nosed bruising types who can't score I think he's gotten to the point where he's like no 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 I definitely need to have a score you can't just win with defense but like it kind of I mean you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because there's you can win with defense a lot of games you can win with defense and um I mean he says it himself but if this team um, committed to its best five defenders, which would probably be pulling Mac, I don't know if it would be putting in V-Day, but you'd probably have Dylan Andrews. You would have uh, Fabloy in there. You would have Bona in there. You'd probably have Stefanovic in there. And I don't know. Take your pick on the other guard or forward or whatever you want to call him. Uh, maybe Brandon Williams plays the four. If you played that team... They create X more turnovers. They create a couple of fast break opportunities per game. 
doesn't that make up for what Sebastian Mack is giving you? Like, and I, again, I'm not meaning to pin it on Mack because there's a lot of guys where this is happening, but um, this is a decent defensive team that could be better. And if it was better, and if it was creating some more pressure on the opposing team's offense, there would be more easy buckets. This team does not get fast break and fast break layups. It just doesn't. That does not happen for this team. Um, and a big part of it is the defense is decent, not great. Um, and I think commit to one. Like, just be like, okay, we're going to try to be a Dick Bennett Washington State team this year, and that's just the sad reality. We're going to play elite defense, and that's who we're going to be. And if you don't play defense, you're not playing. You can work on your offense in your own time. And I know that's counterintuitive to what a lot of people are posting on the message board that it's all about the offense. That's not fixing this program right now. Like, it, it just isn't. Yeah, they, these guys aren't suddenly going to start shooting at a 55% clip. They're just not. They're not shooters. But you've got some guys on this team who can play some defense. Dylan Andrews gets a lot of crap. He's playing really good defense. And until this collapsed the last two games, he was playing really good defense even when his shot wasn't falling. Adem Bona is, is still a defensive freak. He's not a rebounder, but he's a defensive freak. Like, what he can do to create steals and blocks is kind of otherworldly um will got, mill mcclendon is playing good defense yeah it's alon fabloy is a good defender so you, you've got your starters <laughs> and that's the thing is like i think and that's not just from like a win game standpoint because i think we're kind of beyond that point but from an establish your culture standpoint from saying okay no we're not going to like sacrifice everything just because this guy can drive Dave, I, I think it's a win a win game standpoint too. Like you I said, think it is. they're going to win through defense. They're not winning on offense now. There's no way. No. And I, I just, this is the thing is like, I don't know if there's the flexibility there to do something like that. And I think it, it, it is just, again, counterintuitive. And, you know, you're watching a team that shoots horribly. Um, I mean, right now, just for, uh, just to give everyone a sense, UCLA is... Let me pull it up. The worst shooting UCLA team we've ever seen in our lifetimes? Pretty much. Um, but I want to pull up where they are ranked nationally in uh, effective field goal percentage. All right. So they are effective field goal percentage of 44.1%. That ranks... Uh, hang on. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Pulling it up, you just hold your horses. I'm, all right. hol I'm holding my horse. Th that ranks... Um, 344th nationally. There are only 362. I was going to say, how many do we teams. have this year? 362. Um, and it's the only, you know, just double checking, it's the only uh, 
P5, P6, whatever you want to call it, team ranked. That It's the lowest of the P whatever, uh, right behind Rutgers. Um, this, is, this is the worst shooting team any of you can remember. They're not going to win through offense. I know that sounds kind of, you know, oh, but they need to, like, have a better offensive scheme or whatever. This team lacks passing. Uh, none of these guys can pass except for maybe Will McClendon, and that's only in, like, specific situations. They can't pass. Um, they don't create for others. That That's impossible for this team to even conceptualize at this point. You don't – turning this team from, like, the horrible offense to, like, a bad offense from a statistical perspective just means they need to create some more easy baskets off of fast break. And, and here's the other thing, too. Um, in their half court, they're not good. Uh, they're not good scoring in the post. They're not good driving the ball into the lane. They are not shooting from three. If there's something they slightly do okay, it's a mid-range pull-up from Dylan Andrews, uh, Lazarus. Yeah, off the elbow. Yeah, Off the elbow or even uh, along the baseline. I mean, anything that's a mid-range pull-up. Um, Mick Cronin in his interview, in my interview that we did with him on Tuesday, said the worst – shot in basketball which is true is a bad two-point shot i don't know if it's directly correlational but it seemed like in this game uh the team everyone from every everyone who was on the court all five guys were either shooting threes or trying to get the ball down low and almost very 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 infrequently less than they had pulled up and were and were not taking the space in the mid-range that Utah was giving them. Utah was completely collapsing on them. There were so many opportunities, and I just, Dylan Andrews, Sebastian Mack at this point right now is better at a pull-up than he's going to be taking the ball into the paint uh, off a drive. That's To me, offensively, that's their best chance to score at this point. With if you're gonna play Stefanovic, Andrews, and Mac, that's their best game. They were given opportunities last night. They didn't take them. They either shot threes or drove or drove two. There were a couple, but not enough given the space they were giving in the mid range. So that was kind of a miscalculation too. Um, but it just that's a detail when it comes to this offense. They're not going to get. They're just not going to get substantially better. All you, the way he's going to win for the rest of the season is by a great defensive effort, and then you happen to get lucky and you put some balls in the basket on the other side, and maybe I think it's I think it's a pipe dream, but get a little transition scoring because I just they're not built for that. Their offenses, you have to change everything of what you would do. But within the parameters of what they do, this is this is doable. So let's talk personnel. Um at this point, Jan Vide, how many he didn't play in the first half. He played, I think. This three, is this he is played my three total minutes. This is my thing about last night. You're down by almost fifty points, and you got you got a lot of time left on the clock. Jan Vide should have played fifteen minutes. Why not play Jan Vide, Alon Fibloy, even Devin Williams? Why not just play those guys? Maybe uh, they're redshirting Devin Williams, but that's that's they shouldn't okay, be doing. That. Okay, Jan, v, they shouldn't. Jan Vide and and Alon Fibloy. 
should have played more at this at this point you're not just hammering nails with the same guys and hoping they're going to get better when you're down by 40 or 50. This is let's throw some guys out there and see what they'll do at this point. See yeah. if see if they bring some energy and they play hard. Well, see if they play V-Day, some defense. V-Day went in there and like look, I'm I'm grasping at straws, yes. but he had a nice little drive baseline, kicked it out to I think it was Burke who passed up the 3. But it was a decent enough play. It looked like somebody who was passing within a team concept. Okay, sign me up. I'm I'm willing to, I'm willing to take whatever you got. And the thing is, I'm I I think Dylan Andrews has a lot of um. There's there's some baggage there. He's not like clearly in his own head a little bit shooting, but he's still playing defense. So I'd continue to play him. But play Vide alongside him. Play play him at the two, and you're. You're yeah. adding a passer. You're and adding for, a guy who's going to willingly pass the ball. And Fabloy is a good defender. He might miss some assignments. He might miss some help. But he's a good on-ball defender. He can make mistakes in reach. But is it any worse than like Sebastian Mack at this point? And last night, they were the one of the biggest measuring sticks of effort is rebounding. And man, the offensive rebounds that Utah was getting in the second half was stunning and Fabloy's that was just a, a team that was a team that had quit i mean that, yeah yeah but why not put in Fabloy? and he immediately came in i mean he got four rebounds right four rebounds in 10 minutes in uh 10 so minutes. if he'd played the same number of minutes as lazar uh, lazar stefanovich who played 33 minutes well i'm not a math major but that sounds like double digit rebounds to me uh, that's what was needed last last night and i know you're shell-shocked you're down by 50 and you're just thinking, what the heck is going on? I'm talking about the coaching staff. But I think it, like you said, are you going to try to keep going the way you're going and hopeful hopeful that it kicks in for the guys that are getting the majority of the playing time? Or are you going to maybe see if there's some other guys who haven't been playing who can provide a spark or play defense or play some ways that you are that you have always valued because dave this is not just 6 7 years ago or even less 4 or 5 years ago where you would say okay let's start thinking about next season because you can't do that now you can't assume that a guy who's only going to play 4 minutes a game will come back next year okay yep. he'll be better next year no because there's a the transfer portal and NIL you, it's not going to happen. You have to start thinking, I think, about where the program's going now because this isn't just like a one-off aberration. This is You can see how this might be leading to something bigger and more serious about McCrona's program. So it's, I know it's almost antithetical for coaches to think beyond how do I win this next game and they think that's the pathway. Um. It's a new era, though, and I think that's an antiquated way to, to think. Um, I, I think there has to be a mindset of what are we doing now for next year? There has to be an element of that now, because if not, I think there's a potential that uh, some a good number of guys could leave, could transfer out their international players, as we've all known uh Players that aren't local tend to transfer. Now there's another side of this 
the, the international players on the team probably do not want to go back to Europe. They do want to stay in the States, but they could, they could easily transfer. Um, so you have to start thinking this is a lost season more than likely to keep it at one year and then turn it around next year. Who do you need and what has to happen? Yeah. And, and that's, that's the kind of critical element here is, and it's not just guys who are going to transfer. I think Mick needs to get out of the mindset, which he again reiterated more or less last night, apparently on the radio that he's going to cut a bunch of guys this year that does nothing for you and it doesn't it does not create it does not create a good situation for next year you need to look at the roster you have with clear eyes and you need to say who are the guys who can actually turn into my kind of players yeah when you're when you're going to a final four and you say you 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 project uh, a situation of your program that I'm looking for a few tough guys it's not for everyone but if you come here I'll develop you and we'll go to final fours that works but that same kind of perspective doesn't work while you're having this kind of season no I mean maybe it will I I believe it won't um we're going into uncharted territory I'd have to think it won't but yeah so I I think you they have to start thinking about next season right Dave yeah I mean it's not and it's next season but it's also just I mean it's you got to think program level because um, this again going back to the beginning this is this was a cratering game, but it's been, I mean, who knows what's going to happen going forward. I mean, there could be, I, I don't think it's going to be 90 to 44 again, but if they, if he doesn't get their heads on straight, if he doesn't start rebuilding their confidence in themselves, but also in him, um, it's, there's going to be a lot of pretty embarrassing games. And, um, and, and here's the thing too, like, so we're saying two things. You've got to start now in this new era, you can't just win every game. Then you look up in the off season and start thinking, okay, uh, what are we doing for next season? It's different now with the transfer portal and IL. I think that's, I think that you're remiss in your job if you think that way. But also we even said, we think the clearest path towards a, a winning, uh, uh, kind of uh, outlook a winning uh, strategy here is to lean into the defense this is the one thing from the beginning this team has uh, it's given up at times but it's the one thing that is capable of doing at a good level so find your best defenders and defend the crap out of it that so and that would also overlap with finding the guys for next year so it's not like you'd go away from what could make you win right now. You're leaning in. You're, it's the same thing, in my mind. Yeah, no, you're. I, I think you're 100 percent right. And I um, think I'm on to something, Dave. Well, that's. I mean, and that's the whole point. Is um, again, full like you have to have a full accounting of who Mick Cronin is as a coach, and he has to have this full accounting of himself. Realistically, are you going to be able to take in eight or nine guys and have a program? next year 
I don't think so. I think you're going to be facing the same issues you had this year. So the only solution is to create something from the roster you have now. And yeah, if you're listening to this and you're like, I think all these guys are bums, I think they suck, then you're not going to be very confident in that. And I'll give you this. That might be true. I don't know. I'm not a crystal ball guy. I don't know for a fact. I've watched these guys play, and I think there's something there, but there might not be. They might not ever realize that upside. It might have to do with a confluence of factors, including playing on a cratering team this year. Who knows? But his path forward requires that. Like, it requires creating something from this roster. That doesn't mean they're going to be really good at the end of this year. I think we've all kind of thrown that out as a possibility. But it does require finding some guys. And if he doesn't find those guys this year, I mean, the situation is going to be dire next year. And the, Well, the, let's the, talk a little bit about that. Um, I mean, it's not an unreasonable scenario to think. Uh, like what you said is that uh, – Coach Cronin has the idea that, hey, if some guys aren't bought in now, you know, I, I, I'm going to – I don't push him out, but I wouldn't necessarily want him to come back. So you should you could lose some guys that way. Then you could lose some guys that just say, yeah, I'm not sticking around for this. Uh, for one thing, you got one open scholarship already. I, I just – I still believe, and from what I hear, a Dem Bono will still go pro and settle on like a second-round draft status. Um, you have one, one player coming in and guard Eric Freeney as a freshman. So that means you're at 12 scholarships as it stands. I could still think between those scenarios of guys who want to leave and guys who Mick doesn't want there necessarily, you could lose three, three more guys, two or three. So you could have three or four open scholarships. Now you have to go out and get, um, some transfers, that's that could be a challenge. The level of transfer that he could get coming off a season like this, um, I, I, we're speculating. Maybe there will still be, you know, elite players who want to come in because Mick Cronin has proven himself as a developmental guy who can put people in the league. Uh, there is the the mystique and prestige of playing at UCLA, um, but you you'd have to question what level of tra- and. And the NIL situation, you'd, you'd have to think now, the NIL situation for basketball was solid, but the way fans are, when things start going badly, they they will start pulling their NIL. So you'd have to think they're not might, there might not, if this keeps going this way, there's not going to be a lot of NIL available for transfers. So, yeah, I, I, that's an uncertain situation to say the least. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, again, it's, you're, you're going to have those open scholarships. You have to fill them. To fill them appropriately, you either, yeah, you probably need to not have a full, uh, abysmal, terrible, awful season. Like, you have to find some way to make this look better by the end of the season. It's a, I mean, what we're talking about here, like just so everyone knows what we're talking about this path forward um, where Mick Cronin uh, finds like, I don't know, seven guys on this current roster that he wants to keep for next year. And uh, they, they don't even turn it around somewhat, but they at least win, I don't know, seven more games, something like that, six or seven more games. And that he's able to... Um, you know, bring in a few transfers, 
that's a narrow path we're talking about just so everyone like has an understanding of what we're saying here it's not like this is this is suddenly a very dire situation and i think you know just getting that out there there's a path forward for him but it's a narrow one um and it's kind of crazy to say that but it's just this came on us so fast this season has gone about as poorly as it could have like it wasn't in my like when i was doing my realm of possibilities thinking i was thinking the worst case scenario for this team is that they hover around 500 and they don't make the tournament and it's like not very good um never did i consider that they would absolutely fall flat on their faces and not be able to like even just effectively feel the basketball team which is what's happening right now um if we're talking to, it, that leads into uh, I think something that's really critical too when we're talking about n- next season I think it's really really important and critical that he retains a lot of these players. Yeah. Um because what what we've learned and I think what was Cronin's miscalculation and and ours in thinking about this team in the off season is that a Cronin team a Cronin coach team um you need veterans who have veteran Cronin veterans right you can't bring in eight newcomers not just seven freshmen but eight newcomers who are not initiated into the way of playing for Mick Cronin that that is rife for failure yep um so if if that's what we've learned from this season, and I think I've learned that, I, I think I have accepted that. You can't do it again next year. Even with, tra- I mean, let's say you got six transfers next year. Probably better than bringing in seven freshmen. But still, they have to be initiate. Well, they'll be older, tougher, more physical. And so that gives them an advantage over the freshmen. But they still have to be initiated into playing Mick Cronin style. Yep. And... And if you talk to any college coach and when they're considering a transfer, the very first thing they ask, okay, why is he transferring? Why doesn't he just stick there? Why doesn't he? And we've heard McCronin say it before. Stay where you are. Don't think about transferring. Stay there. Develop. Don't look for the first thing. You know, don't, don't look elsewhere at the first sign of adversity. Um, That's what they question. And in a way, it's an overreaction because, of course, coaches are always trying to protect their, you know, their own territory. But it is kind of true that a, a lot of times a guy who's transferring is is not sticking it out where he is, and that's part of his mindset. So you've got to figure in some transfers are guys who were not mentally tough enough to stick it out where they are. And does that lend itself to playing for McCronin? So I think if we learned one big thing here is he needs guys who have played for him. Um, so overhauling, a, doing a big overhaul on this uh, roster, I think would really send up a red flag for next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be, um, I mean, as I said, I think that would be, devastating i think that would close the door like i i don't i i I don't see a path forward where they bring in eight or nine transfers next year um because also the quality of the i mean as you just said before that 
the quality of those transfers. Like, unless somebody is like, oh, no, I really believe in Mick Cronin, and also I have $10 million, um, here you go, bring in eight or nine really good players. But if you bring in a roster of eight or nine transfers, or seven or eight, or whatever you want to call it, six, bring in six new guys, whatever it is, um, you're you're going to be staring at another rebuilding season. And I don't, given how bad this year is likely going to be, I don't think UCLA can afford another rebuilding season. Like, I think next year they have to be promising. Um, and, and it's all a matter, it's all a matter of, of the, the, the tenor and feeling of the game. If, if they're losing, but they're losing by single digits and they're playing hard and you see development, but they're just not there yet. That's okay, but cratering events, as you called it, just isn't 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 something that's conducive towards the future. Yeah. Oh boy. God, that was that was painful. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's such. Are we a... still going? Are we still on the podcast? Oh, we are. Okay. Yeah, we still are. It's just, <laughs> it's it's. I mean, it's. I, you know, I again, like just personally, it's it's so stunning to be back here. Um and like here in a way that again, we haven't experienced in 20 years like from a quality standpoint, but like just back in the position where it's like, oh yeah, um you know, a UCLA coach has to thread the needle to like come back from a situation. Um it's I mean, the 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 shift from preseason to now is absolutely eye-opening um and you know this happens to other schools sort of but it does feel like uniquely ucla that these things happen to the bruins like just well a lot of it is just their hiring process and their hiring mentality and we i've talked about this a lot and their lack of self-scouting on who you on who they are on who ucla is there is a feeling in the UCLA athletic department that UCLA is an elite athletic department, football, basketball, everything else, and that it deserves elite proven coaches. I think in this era, for one thing, that's proven overall to not be true at UCLA. There's enough evidence out there that the contrary is, I think there have been more up and comers who have become good coaches than older proven coaches who go someplace else and then win and are successful at that new place that wasn't the same level as they were before. There's easily as much success rate for the up and comer. UCLA doesn't believe it deserves an up-and-comer. So in so many hiring practices, uh, hiring uh, when coaches, when they needed to fill a coaching, a head coaching spot, they start out shooting really high, big names. It doesn't happen. And, And here should be an indication. We want these guys. We can't afford them. Well, then your realization should be we're, this isn't us. We're, we're out of our, we're out of our strata, right? We're not in our, in our, uh, we're just out of our league here. Yep. Let's shoot where we should be. 
But they never do that. They just keep doing it over and over that they feel we deserve this high level of coach. UCLA in football and in basketball overall needs to come to terms with who they are and who they should hire. I mean, Oregon and Washington, who arguably have had overall better football and basketball programs, at least better football programs over the last 25 years, Oregon football and basketball, probably, you could say real, they realize that. I mean, they're, they go out and find that up-and-coming coach, and their hit rate is pretty darn good. Uh, I, I, this whole mindset from UCLA, it's, it's arrogance, and it's self – what it thinks of itself is mind-blowing to me. And that's, that's the thing, if you look at every single hire, that's the consistent thread, and that's, that's what's hurt UCLA's hiring. It's six, coaches' success and it's program success. That's the number one thing. And until they get over that, it's going to keep going on. And, and until they get away from, we want to win the press conference. Yeah. We like the shiny object. As soon well, as whoever gets that out of their head will be a successful administrator at UCLA. Well, at least add a question on the uh, application. Like, do you have a Greek tragic hero flaw? And yes or no. And if they check yes, just don't hire them. <laughs> like, that's, I think that's the critical point. Yeah, um, I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> like if, if, How much would you just so respect a UCLA administrator who asked them that? <laughs> For one thing, a coach would go, what do you, Greek, Greek tragedy? What, I, what's that? Do do you have an undiagnosed uh, personality disorder? Um, <laughs> yes. Okay, you're yes. hired. <laughs> okay, yeah, great, great. You're our kind of guy. Um, God. Okay. Well, that's basketball. Um, used to be my safe space, Tracy. It's not it a was, safe space. Anymore. In my mind, it was my safe space. Oh my God. Um, oh God. Got to get back on my crap. Um, football. Football hired some assistant coaches this week. It it did, Dave. Um, they hired a uh, quarterbacks coach, uh, Billy Fessler, twenty eight years old. He was the Akron uh, offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for a year. He was the quarterbacks coach there before that. Uh, he's coming in to handle quarterbacks, and then uh, he and he comes from I think the Joe Moorhead School is what he was called. He also, I think most importantly, he coached under Ryan Day two years ago. So I think that's probably what the connection is. Um, not quite. He's, he's I think, three years removed from a GA. Um, and, uh, you know, but we'll see. We'll see what he ends up looking like. Uh, he played quarterback at Penn State. And then uh, for defensive line, they hired Tony Washington Jr., or they're going to hire. I don't think it's been official yet. Uh, the GA from Oregon. Uh, he was a former outside linebacker for Oregon under Chip Kelly, at least at the beginning of his career, then under Mark Helfrick. And then he played a little bit in the NBA and then, or NFL, and then he's been uh, at Oregon for a couple years as a GA. Um, and he's going to handle uh, defensive line, edges, that whole group with Akaika Malloy going to D.C. Malloy's still going to be in the room because obviously it's his first job as a full-time position coach, so I'm sure he'll be helping out. Um yeah, 
Am I missing anybody? Am I missing no. something? No. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. Um, everyone on the forum is saying, why is this happening? Mm. And I understand. I, I mean, you got to wonder. And, you know, I've been saying that the football program is suffering from um, <laughs> mass dysfunction from the chancellor's office to the athletic department to the football offices. And this is this is what happens. UCLA believes it doesn't have enough money uh, to, like I just said, to afford an elite coach. And, and it doesn't, honestly, it, because it does not have enough money to pay for Chip Kelly's buyout, for the new coach's buyout, and then for his salary and then his staff salary. It's very true. Doesn't have that money. Um, the chancellor... Um, is retiring in June, doesn't want to make waves. The athletic director negotiating for his contract extension doesn't want to make waves. Uh, they're kind of set with their budget as it is. And the budget as it stands has been capped. I think it's actually been limited. That budget I'm talking about for uh, coaching assistant salary pool. Um, so that's where they are. Chip Kelly is hiring the guys. I mean, Chip Kelly is is obviously doing the thing he's done before and hiring the people he knows, which are easy hires, either internal or someone he knows, and it's a step up for the person he knows. Um, but they're also doing it because he he doesn't he's being dictated to that he doesn't have a lot to hire, doesn't have a lot of money to hire the coaches. Now that's where it stands as of right now, and. It's a lot of people who have decided not to do anything and try to ride this out until the Big Ten money comes in, which could be false hope as it is. Uh, I'll, I'll be, once that Big Ten media deal money comes in, which is a while from now, um, whether they have to allocate that to make up for a lot of the debt that's already accrued, if there, if there actually is going to be some money that trickles down to help, like for assistant coaches' salaries, that that's a question as it is. So, yeah, this is talking about a deep, deep rabbit hole, that black rabbit hole that you don't want to get into talking, just knowing as a UCLA fan, this would be it. I mean, everything you're saying about um, football uh, – sign me up. That sounds so much better than what's going on with basketball. Does I think it, football – Football is now my safe space, Tracy. Football <laughs> is my area. Hang on, I'm looking something up. You, uh, you keep going for a second because I've got a very funny statistic. Okay, okay, I'll uh, keep going. Um, yeah. So, if you want to think about whether, uh, you know, it's Chip Kelly, this is the money he's been given to hire that assistant coach, or, uh, okay, there's a dichotomy at UCLA and the opinion of Chip Kelly. The job of the athletic department is to support its head coach um, and do whatever it can for him. In fact, there's probably a lot of people in the athletic department whose jobs are tied into the fate of, oh, I've got it. I've of got Chip it. Kelly. Hold on. i got to finish this. You got me on an idea now. Yeah. Um, but then on the other hand, there's a lot of awareness that Chip Kelly could be a lame duck and he's got one year left. So, I mean, uh, speculating is this, is this UCLA in the athletic department uh, not giving Chip Kelly enough money to actually – Succeed next year? I mean, could be. Not sure. So, okay, go ahead. Um, so Chip Kelly. I filled uh, that spot really well. 
Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure if it's e- – is it easier to lose by 46 in basketball or football? <laughs> uh, that's a really good question now I'm thinking about it. I think it's easier in football, isn't it? Because you score seven points. So Chip Kelly has lost one game by 46 points his second year. Do you know who it was to? Mm, it's at Utah. Salt Lake at, City. That's right. It was at Utah. 49 to 3. I swear, Utah, man. <laughs> Utah, man. Um, Wait, yeah. just really fast. Lazar Stefanovic, I, I mean, he left Utah to play for a, nor, like a more serious competitive program at UCLA. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Poor guy. I mean, and then, I mean, the booing last night, it clearly got in his head very badly. Okay, yeah. What were you saying? I don't know what I was saying, you Tracy. Were, you were you were doing you were coming to some conclusion. No, you're doing an just, old man it, thing that you don't remember what you were thinking. No, no, I was looking ago. up. I was looking up whether Chip Kelly has lost a game by more points than McCronin did last night, and he's lost one game by the exact same amount to the same program, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, no, uh, uh, you know, Chip Kelly, uh, it's it's uh, mediocrity bordering on very bad. But it's not a cratering event. There's that. It's not a cratering event. You would easily say that the the basketball season is far worse off than the football season was. And right at this point, where <laughs> these it. it's amazing it. though. I mean, I'm gonna say it again. You don't ha- say I, it. I'm doing it again. What year was that that I said that? Uh 2009, 2008. Something like that. I'll just say this: you'd have to put, you'd have oh, to, God. you'd have to question the viability of Mick Cronin's program as as much as Chip Kelly's program. Oh boy! Oh boy! And I I really do believe Ch- uh, Mick Cronin is a good basketball coach. I think he's a very very good basketball coach. There have just been some miscalculations, and the number one miscalculation is. Thinking that you could take eight newcomers uh, who have talent even and mold them into a team given who you are in by the end of this year. Yeah, and it was it was that combined with thinking you could mold them into that quickly and thinking you could turn this into a winning, very good team this year. I think, again, a lot would have been aided with him having a different approach. Okay, you're bringing in eight new guys, and that's luck of the draw. You got dealt a bad hand with how your roster was built. Fine. Okay, take one or two transfers instead of just one, or take three transfers instead of just one, and then have an understanding of what you are, who you are as a coach, and understand if you make the tournament, that's good. But otherwise, you're just trying to build a program. And he's now he's lost half a season um, doing things what appears to be the wrong way. So Cronin has had a history at just UCLA of where he scrapped some things early on and changed during the season. Yeah. We'll see if that happens this year. Um, I'd say overall, when it comes to a, a coach football or basketball, he's done, he's been more nimble in being able to adapt uh, during the course of a season. Um, so there, there is a little bit of a precedent for that. We'll we'll see if that happens. Yeah, we will see. We truly will. Okay, I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore, Tracy. Oh, I want to just keep going on and talking about this most miserable thing. 
No, 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 no. I think we've I think we've done our due diligence. I am a slumped over shell of a man, uh, which is and, how I should feel. And people right just know we're right there with you. Okay, I know you want you you want to take it out on someone, and Dave and I will be the punching bag, and we have been. But just kind of rethink some of this. I mean, what did we do really badly? We 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 said they'd be better by now, and we said the freshmen would be better. Yeah, we did. All yep. of that. We said <laughs> and that. they're not. And they're not. So so, um, let's just try to keep it more to the to what we're here to talk about, not. My motivation, Dave's motivation, uh, not our biases or our agendas or whatever. Just keep it to, you know, talking about UCLA basketball and football. The motivation is to be fair and uh, say the things we think. And sometimes the things we think are wrong. Sorry about that. That's our It agenda. happens. Right there. Yeah. That's the agenda. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods. Bruin Report Online. And we will talk to you again next time. See you all.